Hello. So good to see you back right here with us here at the UK Medical Freedom Alliance. My name is Ian Humphreys and today's going to be a little bit different um, because normally I would have a guest to talk to, but today's going to be me reading a statement from someone who has been very badly injured. And this is all to do with medical freedom. It's all to do with informed consent. It's all to do with bodily autonomy, which is what our organisation, as you know, is all about. Now, we are the voice of medical ethics here in the UK. And we feel it's very necessary to get some stories out there for you so that you understand what has actually been taking place. There's nothing that I'm going to tell you that isn't evidential. It is a person's account of exactly what occurred to them, with them, for them, at the time of the events that I'm going to read. Unfortunately, the person can't be with us on air because she's still too ill. And that really should give you an idea as to how serious this is. Because as you know, I've already interviewed Danielle Baker in the United States, who was very seriously injured, but was able to actually come on and speak to us. In this case, unfortunately, that's not true. Now, before I do that, you know I normally do some housekeeping, and um, you know it's, it's the usual stuff, but I really would like you to take note of it. Um, because now we are not only on Rumble, which is our chosen platform, and we know our free speech is protected there, but we're also on YouTube, where unfortunately two of our videos have now been removed. So if you can, we'd much prefer you move over to Rumble if you wish to see the video versions of these broadcasts. This is broadcast number nine, by the way. Now, you can also go to Apple or Spotify or, or a few other um, podcast audio providers where you'll be able to find our content too. But uh, Apple and Spotify in particular, it's very easy to find. Just search for UKMFA and there you will find our podcasts. Okay, let's get into it. Let me explain exactly what I mean. This was a statement I took on the 12th of January, 2022, at two o'clock in the afternoon. And when I took that statement, this was prior to my involvement with UKMFA, um, and I was conducting inquiries with some other former police officers. And we decided this was so serious that we would take what's known as an MG11 statement. So this is a witness statement under the Criminal Justice Act rules of 1967, Section 9 of the Magistrates Courts Act of 1980, and other magistrates' rules and criminal procedure rules, which I won't go into right now, but you can understand that this is a very official statement. I won't give her name. I can tell you she is over 18, and she's a full-time mother. She made a seven-page statement. Now, she signed a certificate that said it's true to the best of her knowledge and belief and makes it knowing that if it's tendered in evidence, she's be liable to prosecution. If she's willfully stated anything in it which she knows to be false or doesn't believe to be true. Hopefully, just even from that, you can understand the gravity of this statement. So let's get to what she said. And I might pause as we go through so that you can understand 
the concerns that uh, that I had, uh, my colleagues had, and that we still have now, even to this day. So she states that she's the above-named person and she wishes to make a formal complaint. She said, up until I received my COVID-19 injection, I was a fit and active person. Until then, I used to dig my vegetable patch, carry paving slabs and bricks, climb the stairs and led a very healthy and active life. Her son, age 10, is autistic. And prior to the 25th of March 2021, she received texts, emails and letters from the National Health Service indicating that she should vaccinate herself because her son was clinically vulnerable. Now let's just pause there for a start. Her son is age 10 and autistic. So I would ask you to just ask yourself the question, well, how is someone who is autistic in any way more clinically vulnerable to something like COVID-19, for example, or any other respiratory virus or disease than any other? She stated, my son is not in any way physically disabled, nor does he suffer any physical or clinical ailment. I have no idea why the NHS were classing my son as vulnerable. I had no desire to get vaccinated, as I believed we had already been infected with COVID-19 during recent stays in London around December 2019 and at the end of January 2020. Now, in addition to that, her son became ill in the second week of March 2020 with a body rash for a day, a high temperature and runny nose. Three days later, her husband and her became ill again with headaches, sore throats, dry cough, fever and general flu symptoms, which lasted for about a week. And for that reason, she strongly believed that she had been infected with COVID-19, as were the rest of the family, and therefore had gained immunity. At no time... During this period, was there any testing available to see whether in fact this was COVID-19? The remainder of the year was uneventful in terms of illness. But despite the belief that she was immune to COVID-19, this lady was bombarded with texts, emails and letters. This happened over a period of time and she felt pressured that she had no choice but to arrange to be injected with a COVID-19 vaccine. So I pause again. She felt pressured. So this wasn't voluntary. She felt pressured. They had no choice but to arrange to be injected with a COVID-19 vaccine. She was also aware of the constant advertising to get vaccinated in the media and on the internet, which is why she gave in and went to get the injection. On the 25th of March 2021, at two o'clock in the afternoon, she attended a surgery close to where she lived and she was injected with which she understood to be a COVID-19 vaccination. She's got no idea what she was injected with, it's the truth of the matter. But she received something 
that was written on a card that told her it was AstraZeneca and the batch number was provided. She was met by a nurse that she has named. The nurse explained to her what manufacturer had produced the injection contents, but it was not detailed what the contents of the injection were. It was also not explained how the injection worked. It was also not explained what level immunity the injection would confer. It was also not explained that the injection was still under an emergency use authorization. It was also not explained that the injections were experimental and that the phase three clinical trials were still ongoing. It was not explained that as the clinical trials were ongoing, she was therefore part of those trials. It was also not explained that a number of deaths had occurred following the injection. It was not informed about the yellow card system, should she need to report an adverse reaction. She was not asked to sign a form or anything else consenting to the injection. She was not checked for any competence to consent to that injection. She still believes the person injecting her was a nurse, but she wasn't given any documentation to read prior to the injection whatsoever. The nurse who injected her in the room did not tell her to wait for 15 minutes, so she left. But the nurse did give her a vaccination card with the details of the injection. Only a batch number and a manufacturer. Now, since the above mentioned injection, she has suffered the following adverse reactions. And she now details what actually happened on the day. So on that 25th of March 2021, immediately after she left the vaccine centre, she walked out back through the car park and felt breathless. She would describe this as like when you step outside on a very windy cold day and she felt woozy. In that case, her husband drove her home and once she was at home, she took some aspirin and lay down, but she felt unwell for the rest of the day, woozy and very tired. She woke the next morning, the 26th of March, and discovered that her pillow was saturated as if someone had poured a jug of water over it and her face was wet. Her eyes had wept onto the pillow in the night, apparently. She couldn't open her eyes at first, but then she could and she could see fine. But she had a very painful migraine over her right eye and her ear and her cheek. And the cheek was hot and burning. She'd expected to feel bad for a few days, given the general information that she'd gleaned about vaccines from elsewhere. So she didn't call a doctor at that time. But after about three days, the burning sensation subsided. But a week later, her skin started to peel on the right side of her face and her ear and into her hairline. And also for the first two days after the injection, she'd felt very uncomfortable with a fast beating heart rate. And she found that worrying because she does suffer from arrhythmias occasionally and a mild mitral valve prolapse. And so she was concerned that she would need to go to A&E if it didn't slow and improve. But it did. It subsided. And only occasionally since then 
as she had to skip fast beats again. But the migraines, migraines persisted daily for about a week, then slowed to a couple of days a week. After the first week following injection, she developed a very tight, painful calf muscle, which after a few days moved up to the side of her knee and then to the top of her groin, a bit like a tight pressure feeling, which she found uncomfortable to walk, bend her leg and sit. And meanwhile, the injection site was still very tender and painful, which carried on actually for a few months until October 2021, when it was noticed by her that it was no longer hurting. She said that she wished to add that every morning, from the morning following the injection, she had to use eye drops to physically peel open her eyes. She was unable to open them normally from sleeping and still to this day, from when I took the statement from her, she, she used eye drops in the morning and had to rub her eyes and ever since has been left with blurred vision, whereas previously her vision was perfect. She'd also developed electric shock type snapping and buzzing in her head and her neck. She said what I can only describe as you would see and hear with a Van de Graaff machine experiment on TV or in high school. She said, I was worried I was going to have epileptic fits. She tried sorry, I tried contacting my GP in mid-April, she said, to make an appointment as I was growing concerned my reactions were getting worse. However, the surgery was on an answer machine. I attempted to report the reactions to the Yellow Card Reporting website, but I didn't know quite how to explain my symptoms in the box provided. So she did go back to that and successfully did manage to input her symptoms about a month later. But then they had got worse. During May, she had numbness in the right foot, ankle and toes. She said, I would continually stub and bruise my toes as I walked through the house as I couldn't feel them. I had developed neck pain, which was so terribly painful and ached so much. And the only relief I could get was to rest my chin on my chest or to flip my head right the way back. There was no support for it. This still aches today, although nowhere near as bad as it had been. I developed a problem with swallowing when I ate or sometimes even took a breath. I would choke and still do to this day. It's like the back of my tongue doesn't have the same feeling to swallow or move when I eat and then it feels like something is stuck in my throat and I keep having to clear it for the rest of the day. Until I eat, this doesn't seem to happen, but once I do eat some food, no matter if it's just a biscuit, etc., the clearing throat thing begins and stays until bed. Additionally, in April, beginning of May 2021, I had visible tremors in my right arm, hands and fingers. To this day, I have a constant vibration that's in my right side, always on the go, like crawling sensation. I carry my right arm in a clenched fist position without realising it. As the tremors were getting worse, I had started to, and it, and it started to affect my mouth with a shaking on the right side. I persisted and finally got through to the GP receptionist on the 28th of June, 2021. As a result of the conversation, I expected the GP would ring me within the next day or so. It wasn't until the 2nd of July, 2021, the GP rang to discuss what she was feeling. She's actually produced a copy of the patient record of that discussion as an exhibit for, for our purposes. 
On the 16th of June 2021, she actually also made an emergency appointment with the optician for an examination because her vision was blurring. And throughout the examination, her vision continued to blur in random fashion. The optician gave her a prescription for prescription glasses. He said the vision was blurring to different degrees throughout the examination and that that was down to inflammation in the body and would hopefully clear. I think perhaps we should pause again there to think about that. So an optician has noticed inflammation in the body. She made a personal statement then. She said, my balance is still affected. I often walk into door frames bruising myself. It's like walking on a boat. I feel like I'm moving all the time, even when I sit down swaying from side to side. My lower legs, especially my ankles, want to collapse on me like they have no strength, and I'm physically exhausted from the pain in my neck and joints. I still can't walk very far. Getting upstairs is draining, and I have to lean against the wall to steady myself. The numbness in my foot and toes has changed to only once in a while, although my right hand has a weakness in gripping, holding, and trying to manage with zips or opening packets. I can no longer play my electric guitar as I have to really concentrate on moving my fingers with accuracy. They do not pick quickly enough. I have to make a very conscious thought to hold a cup and apply pressure, and I therefore constantly drop things. I have a burning pain in my right hand once or twice a day, which lasts only for 10 seconds or so, but feels like when you catch yourself on a hot oven door or shelf. This is also the pain I have in my right lower leg, a painful burning. The tremor in my right arm and hand is much less noticeable, but I still hold my hand in a clenched fist and my fingers do still move on their own from side to side, which is more noticeable when I'm typing or holding my phone to type. My hearing on the right side that was burning and peeled is now very sensitive to where I can't stand certain sounds like central heating hissing or the air fan in a car. I have migraines on the right side over my eye. They have subsided, but my blurred vision has not got any better. I have noticed I have problems with my short-term memory also. The swallowing and choking is still a problem and continues to cause me to keep clearing my throat and be more careful when I eat. I'm always tired. My sleep is not what I would call refreshed, as I still have pains and a vibration feeling in my leg and arm all the time. I have to keep changing reading glasses throughout the day as my vision goes from one extreme to the other. I have to keep using eye drops and use warm pads on my eyes to soften the oils in my eyelids. She went on to say that she has reported the adverse reactions to the yellow card system. She's reported the reactions to the GP. She's not receiving any treatment for any of the adverse reactions reported. She is so aggrieved, she says she is willing to attend a call and give evidence if she has to, if required. She feels that she is a victim of grievous bodily harm, and she would like the police to investigate the matter. However, it was reported to the Norfolk Constabulary. They did not respond well, it's fair to say. 
I hope that gives you a, a true and factual impression of what has happened to this lady. She's not an old lady. She is suffering. And to be honest with you, she's still suffering. I had an email from her the other day. And bearing in mind, I took this statement some time ago. These symptoms have not subsided. In fact, they're probably slightly worse. It's, it's difficult to say this because it, it, it's, it's hard, but it's the truth. She told me at one stage, she said, I, I think I'm going to die soon. There's something terribly wrong with my body. It's not behaving in the way I would expect. And I can't see how I can survive this. Now, as much help has been provided to her as possible, um, you know, we, we, we pray and hope that she's going to improve. But this is one of many cases that I looked into two years ago. And we're still looking into them. My appeal to people that are watching this is that if you know people that are injured, I'd love to hear from you so we can interview them. Also, if you're someone who has criticised people for bringing up this subject in some disbelief, I want you to know that the reason that people like me talk about these things is because we have now the direct experience of taking statements and speaking to people that have suffered. We only want what's best for everyone. It's done with love. So that's it from me from this one. It's a shorter one, but, uh, but I hope it has the impact that it's, uh, it's meant to. And we, you know, we will be uh, interviewing others. And in fact, I'm hoping to interview another former police officer at some stage where we're going to work through the possible legalities and illegalities of this. We know as former police officers that you investigate all sides. You don't only investigate the matters that you think are going to prove whichever outcome you think you're aiming for. You investigate everything. So if anyone has got any information or evidence that counters or, or explains what I have just read out, um, it would be great. I'd love to hear from you. I'd, I'd love to know, for example, when it comes to autism, is there a reason to give an autistic child a COVID-19 vaccine over and above a child that isn't autistic? What is it about autism that makes it different? That would be very, very interesting to know. Because that was the catalyst for this. That was the push. That was the coercion that made this person go ahead and get injected. Now, as I said, I've got all the information. This is a, 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 a true and genuine case. I have the statement in my possession. And uh, as people often say, we, we have the receipts. Anyway, that's enough for me. Please um, don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, if you're on Rumble, please follow us. If you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. 
please go to the Apple Podcasts, um, so on Apple and and the Spotify Podcasts. Um, they're all done via Buzzsprout, so if you happen to know Buzzsprout, you can go there too, and you can also do likes and subscribes there. So that would be absolutely fantastic. The, the more the merrier. Please visit the website. All of our information is there. Tons. Open letters, information, templates, all of our campaign details and more. And we've got more and more campaigns coming up. So please do that. UKMedFreedom.org. UKMedFreedom.org. Thanks so much. And I'll see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.